You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 30, covering the Paradise Syndrome and the Children Shall Lead and Is There in Truth No Beauty with special guest Mark Bosco. Hello, people. We are back. We're here once again with Bob, actually. You just left, and here you are back again. Just we missed you, you, Bob. We did. Aw, I missed you guys, too. Did you really? No. <laughs> no, you had a super, super busy uh, week of work, and you're like, oh, shit, i got to watch Star Trek again, don't I? Don't I talk nope. to you assholes every day? <laughs> <laughs> you, you still haven't beaten your... Uh, your record yet that one time you were on like three sarcastic voyages in a row so, uh, <laughs> yeah that's the number to beat i'm 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 trying to get back to that level you know i'm i'm, I'm working on my uh my uh boxing with the with the penguin as my coach good and, good uh, well, i think we're really gonna make it soon yeah the penguin is a, is a solid coach although mm-hmm. uh, he won't cut you sometimes when you need him to cut you <laughs> no he pecks <laughs> you <laughs> yeah that's that's a good point um, unfortunately, actually, we're not going to be seeing you again for a while. You, you, the one you picked for season three was a bit early on, and uh, we won't be seeing you again until the movies, which is a shame. But uh, I know I'm I'm very sad about that. That wasn't good strategic planning on my part. Well, but you had a you had your eye on a favorite, and here we are. Yep. And that said, this is this is yours. This is your choice. You, Mark Bosco, this is your Star Trek moment. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away with the Paradise Syndrome. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to Native American planet, where they remark how amazed they are at finding yet again another planet that's remarkably like Earth. They come upon an obelisk with alien symbols and wonder what it's all about, but Spock reminds them that they have to get going now so they can divert the asteroid that's going to hit the planet in a couple of months. (laughs) After explaining the physics of the situation to Bones slowly and painfully using rocks, they head off for one last look at the peaceful, so peaceful... Indian tribe and their peaceful Shangri-La. Finally, they're ready to beam up and save the day, but Kirk, like a spoiled child, runs back to have one last look at the obelisk before he'll go off and do his duty of actually saving the poor bastards. Back at the obelisk, Kirk accidentally says the magic words and opens a trap door, dumping him into the base of the obelisk and getting him zapped with enough static electricity to wipe his memory. Spock and Bones try to open the damn thing up, but eventually have to give up and head out late for their appointment with the rogue asteroid. Spock is so worried about the asteroid that he commands the ship to travel at maximum warp all the way there, despite Scotty's protestations. And for once, Scotty wasn't just crying wolf. They ran the engine so hard that they no longer have the energy to push the asteroid aside. They try it anyway, but it doesn't work, and at this point they've damaged the engine so badly that they're stuck with no weapons and just impulse power, which they use to travel back to the planet for the next two months the asteroid trailing four hours behind them the entire way. Meanwhile, back on the planet, eventually the obelisk opens of its own accord, and a few of the Indians find Kirk coming out of the thing and hail him as a god. The only guy in the tribe who doubts his godhood is the local medicine man, but in short order, Kirk, uh, uh, Kirok, steals this guy's medicine man badge, his fiancée, gets married, and sires a child. Old medicine guy is understandably upset about this. Kirk, for his part, has never felt more happy and peaceful. Spock, meantime, has been kicking himself over fucking up the whole asteroid thing and has stayed up for 58 days straight trying to figure out what they can possibly do when they get back to the planet. With only a few hours left, Spock figures out that the alien symbols on the obelisk 
are actually musical notes, a sort of melodic open sesame that can get Kirk out of there. Kirk, however, is living the good life with his Indian buddies, that is, until the massive winds come, and the tribe expects their new god to actually do something about it. Kirok smashes his fist against the obelisk, trying to get it to open, yelling, I am Kirok! But to no avail. So old medicine guy incites the villagers to stone Kirok and his wife to death. Thankfully, at the last moment, Spock and Bones beam down, scaring off the skittish tribe, and save the day, activating the weird alien obelisk, which was actually turns out to have been an asteroid deflector all along. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, before we continue, I gotta ask, when you said Scotty uh, 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 crying wolf, that was not a <laughs> yeah. reference to Wolf in the Fold, was it? No. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm like, are you are you really trying to be that obscure? Or <laughs> No. <laughs> Somewhere Mr. Hengus is waiting for his walk-on role. <laughs> uh, just just as usual. Oh, no, you, it's gonna blow up. You can't use the drive, the engines, I, blah, blah, blah. You know, I can't do a I told you they were going to blow up, but you never bloody listened to me. No. The, the thing is, and, and we've, we've pointed this out before, that Scotty is only just starting to happen. Mm. In season yeah. one, he was just the guy who was in charge when Kirk left the ship. And in season two, he started to kind of care about the engines. And now he's finally starting to be, oh, I can't take much more of this, sir. Like, <laughs> you, the crazy. You change the laws of physics. Yeah, flailing his arms and, you know, all that <laughs> Danger sort of Will Robinson. Right. Danger foo wah <laughs> Jokes one person will get, and he's on the show now. <laughs> yeah, I totally got that. <laughs> I, uh, here's another inside thing, Bob. He stayed up 58 days, huh? I'm pretty sure you've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> Once or twice. Yeah. Um, this actually was a lot better than, than it had any right to be. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was much better than I remembered it being. I actually chose this because of the really, you know... Shatting it up, Kirok moments, but uh, well, yeah, every, everybody <laughs> remembers was... that part. Everybody remembers yeah. uh, Shatner decked out as an Indian and shouting his own Indian name like to the sky. But <laughs> there's actually love... a lot of really good stuff going on here. I love when he steps yeah. out, his arms spread wide, his his uh, his Native American fringe dangling in the breeze. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is all a bit much, but. That said, like uh, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot going on here. I mean, we're on location, mm -hmm. but we're not at the usual Gorn rocks like we always are. No, yeah, that's a, that's a nice change. The obelisk thing that you were talking about is actually a really nice. I, I, I assume it was a standing prop, and it was huge. It looked damn yeah. good. Like every time that thing showed up, I could not believe that it was on a show in the '60s that had just had its budget cut. Yeah, it it was. It looked like to be made of some kind of actual sturdy material. It yep. uh, it had what looked like alien writing on it. Like what it was supposed to be was actually there. It wasn't mm -hmm. yeah. some kind of horrible cheap effect. So that was that was nice. Um, I, I can't believe they actually killed off uh, Kirk's uh, bride when she was pregnant. That seemed a little dark for a show in the late '60s. Yeah, but it was. It, but that ending was it was really actually touching. I mean, I really expected it to kind of be, oh, well, his wife's dead, we're off to new adventures, and, you know, yeah. obviously that was part of it, that they needed to reset for the next episode. Sure. There wasn't a big continuing storyline, but I think they actually handled it really nicely. That, those last moments were actually very touching. Yeah, they did, and, and I was uh, I was talking to our pal Irish Gav about this episode, and I'd, I'd like to take credit for this observation, but it was his. He said that this was like Kirk's inner light. Like the episode where Picard goes and mm. lives a whole entire life, and Sees what it would be like to have a family and a kid and all that stuff, and this is sort of Kirk's version of that, and uh, and he wasn't wrong. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of the life he never got to have because he's a starship captain. Mm. So that was that was kind of cool. That instead of a flute, yeah, he, got I mean, elbow he kept putting. What's that? Instead of a flute, he got elbow fringe. Right. I mean, Picard yeah. really won out in that in that deal, but still. <laughs> 
But he like I mean, and that was one of the things throughout the episode. They kept hammering home. It was like, oh, this is so peaceful. It's you know, without the weight of the captaincy on me. And right. You know, he, he was kind of like dreaming about that at first. You know, in the episode before he got you know knocked on the head with a bowling ball and became an Indian. <laughs> At least he didn't hate all women this time. Yeah, that's a step up at least. Um, no, you're you're right, and and not everyone writes Kirk that way. So sometimes it feels a little out of character, but it is it is part of his character. Like there is a secret part of him that wishes he could have everything. He knows he made his choice, and I think he's comfortable with his choice. But I think he still secretly wishes, you know, that he could have all the stuff that he gave up. And this was a nice way to show that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too, though. I mean. I, again, I'm sure they needed to do it for plot purposes to reset for the next episode. But, you know, he just kind of asked Bones to, to stay with his wife, but, you know, not actually take her to the Enterprise to actually heal her or anything. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a, an odd move that it was like, you know, well, obviously they've already seen everybody. So we've broken the prime directive already. So why not just, you know, take her up to the Enterprise and get her fixed up? Right. I, but, I actually think this episode of work would have worked a lot better had they been humanoid aliens rather than... American Indians. I thought that was that was yeah. really the only problem that I had was it was just a little too on the nose. You could have done the peaceful <laughs> primitive people without actually calling them, you know, actual Indians. Yeah, see, right. Like, and apparently in the script, the name of the the name of the planet was Amerind. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> they didn't say in the episode, but come on, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they actually took some chances with this one too. Like, um, there was a cold open. It wasn't the usual like fanfare captain's log like they just open with the planet and then beaming down that was a little different than usual um mm -hmm. the fact that we had like almost two full months of story mm -hmm. i don't i can't remember any other episode that's happened in yeah which was the and and the idea i love the idea of space being empty and if you don't have warp drive it uh, you know travel through it being slow i like when they emphasize that because that's that would be true yeah absolutely yeah and it was also a nice plot way to say Kirk's had time to really fall in love, and it's not just a typical he had a role in the hay for one night thing. They, yeah. they were allowed to, to stretch it out and say, no, he's been here a few months. He really has fallen for this chick for real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, it really justifies the slow motion shots of them running toward each other in a field. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anything justifies that. <laughs> Falling down in the pine needles and rolling around, yeah. laughing. <laughs> so happy. We laughed so a lot peaceful. back then. <laughs> Is it peaceful? <laughs> I didn't remember them ever mentioning that. Mm, very peaceful. So um, peaceful. The, uh, the now okay, we've talked about all the stuff that was good, but uh, well, <laughs> there, there's also I mean the whole B plot, the whole the whole thing of Spock pushing himself too hard, Bones kind of mm. saying, "Look, dude, you've done everything you can. It's cool. You know that was nice." But some of the I don't know, like Kirk just saying, "Hey, how's it going?" and falling into the secret uh, yeah. music note thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> Apparently the magic words were Kirk to Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? I, you know, the thing is, and that would have been so easily fixed with a script revision. Like, yeah. maybe opening the communicator, the little the tone, yeah. you know, could have set it off. Yeah. Rather than his actual words. It's it's a, the fact hey, that it was his words. Yeah. Not so yeah. much. Oh, um, one other good thing. This is actually, I believe, the first uh, mention of the preservers. Oh, yes. Oh, which right, right, right. Concept. Which was supposed to be like this super advanced alien race that took humans from Earth and, and seeded them across the galaxy. Which actually, I think this writer was trying desperately to explain why we keep going to all these human planets. Mm. And it wasn't a bad retcon. <laughs> it was like, okay, someone's putting them there. 
They're not just growing right. there on their own accord, which it makes a little more sense. Yes. And they put the asteroid blaster there as well. Right. right? Just just for such an occasion. In a few years, this place is going to get attacked <laughs> by asteroids, so we're going to make a gun <laughs> that fires at asteroids, and it can only be opened by a starship captain who will definitely be visiting at that time. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about well, wasn't right. it, it, was, it was supposed to be like the tribal leader had... Uh, the knowledge, you know, how to get in there. He knew the secret, but the last one died before he passed it on to his successor. So they just like, you know, just, you know, 20 years ago lost the knowledge or something. I, I so, buy that. And that's a fairly, like, that's a Star Trek staple, but it's one I don't mind. The one where the advanced culture sets up the primitive culture with, you know, like one wise person has all the knowledge. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I do think it's a little tired by now, but it's, you know, it's not bad. Right. I actually don't mind the whole idea of, of musical notes being the thing. Like, that's a neat, yeah. you know, anyone who's played Loom is like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that. But, um, you know, again, the fact that Shatner talking opened it up, not not so much. Yeah. And then, the you know, Shatner, like, solidifying his status as a god by uh, performing CPR on the kid or, or whatever CPR-like thing it was back in the mid-60s where he's, like, knees. pumping the guy's legs. Yeah, raising, legs. Raising <laughs> he's the like, knees. what the hell is that move? <laughs> I, Matt and I were watching this together. We just couldn't resist saying, I think he took that guy's wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of bilge pump move. <laughs> Uh, but overall, like, way better. I, I, I'm scared because I've I've always heard season three is terrible. And we're watching now, and, and out of the three episodes we saw, there were two decent ones in here. And it's like, mm. uh, am I being lulled into a false sense of security, or is season three actually not that bad? I, just, I don't know. Perhaps the worst is yet uh, to come. Yes. Well, I mean, I know. I, I know Very shortly, I think. I know there's Turnabout Intruder. I know there's, like, a couple others. And, of course, there's mine. Mm. Uh, do you guys have anything else on this one before we move on, or? Nope. No, I'm good. Okay. Then let's go to the stinker of the batch. (laughs) And the children shall lead. So, remember Miri, that episode from season one with the planet of irritating children? You know, no, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't that one, but it might as well be. The Enterprise answers a distress call at a scientific colony on Triacus, only to discover that the place is lousy with pastel-colored corpses. (laughs) Uh, reviewing the files on a stray tricorder, Kirk hears the repeated reference to The Enemy Within, which just makes me want to watch that episode instead of this horrible one. Unfortunately, these people were not killed by Roddenberry's dog in a feather boa. <laughs> and perhaps equally as unfortunate, a bunch of irritating children survived whatever did happen here. Actually, it's no mystery they all committed suicide before the episode started. Smart people. Uh, the kids skip going na 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 and doing all those other irritating things that children do in stories where we're supposed to believe they're intimidating somehow. Yeah, sorry, not buying it. The kids don't appear to be bothered by the fact that their planet is lousy with the aforementioned corpses and are taken to the Enterprise for the grief therapy that they don't actually require. Upon discovering that they're taken ba- that they're being taken back to a starbase, the children use their mind powers, which of course they have, to trick the crew into changing course. <laughs> Seriously, is it just me, or are there no normal children anywhere in Star Trek? They're either psychic or super geniuses or something. So yeah, while the Enterprise whooshes toward the children's preferred destination, the crew still think they're in orbit around the planet, which leads to the only badass part of this episode. A couple of red shirts are beamed onto what Kirk thinks is the planet to find themselves materializing in the depths of space where there'll be no tribble at all. Pretty brutal, actually. (laughs) Eventually, Kirk and his two BFFs overcome the mental power nonsense, which for some reason is controlled by the ghost of... I don't know what. 
He looks like the result of an unfortunate transporter accident that combined Bozo the Clown with Hamlet's father, but I have no idea what he's actually supposed to be. The children and their ridiculous ghost pal make the crew see their worst fears, which are more insulting than terrifying. Uhura fears getting old? Really? I've seen Michelle Nichols 40 years after this episode aired, and she's looking pretty okay for her age. Not hot or anything, but certainly nothing to cause the kind of blind panic and terror she experiences here. <laughs> Sulu sees a bunch of knives in space, which is even dumber. Surely these kids know not to play with too many knives. Anyway, when we watched this episode together, Matt's DVD stopped working with 10 minutes left in the episode. I assumed I could guess how it ended, and I was right. The ghost ends up being an ancient alien who uses the children to fulfill his boring, dark, sinister, boring purposes, and the power of love destroys the children's obedience to him. Of course it does. I did go back and watch those last ten minutes just to be sure, because I'm a fucking pro. Frankly, I feel like I deserve some kind of prize for this. You sure do. <laughs> Boy, was this bad. I was, uh, I was reading up on this one, and I found out that uh, originally Sulu was supposed to see the sky full of samurai swords, but he made them change it. Oh. Uh, oh. Uh. Because that would have been much more scary. Yes. <laughs> but they're still just not knives. The ship will be destroyed, Captain. Oh, God. And yet, I mean, uh, yet another opportunity for Sulu to be stoned. <laughs> not the first time that's happened. You guys oh, seeing just got that crazy You guys seeing smile. all these yeah. knives out here? I am <laughs> tripping balls. <laughs> <laughs> the group of kids is basically the same as the group of kids from Miri. Yep. Um, <laughs> Didn't we actually at one point think one of them might have been one of the same kids? Yeah, I think we confused this for a while. The main kid, uh, the, the the child with red hair who's like a foot taller than everyone else, mm -hmm. seems criminally wasted not playing Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. I can't imagine him ever getting a role as remotely as rewarding as, as that. <laughs> the one, is that the one in the striped jumpsuit that makes him look like a prisoner? Yep. Yeah, the one who's a foot taller than the rest of them. <laughs> and who's actually already hit puberty and really is not a child in any sense of the word. Yeah, that and that, that, <laughs> He's that is not an attractive <laughs> uniform, by the way. Excuse me, Captain Kirk. <laughs> Well, he's wearing the uh, the forerunner to Wesley's rainbow jumpsuit, I think. Back when it was just straight rainbow. <laughs> it was, uh, the kids were making some really unsettling hand gestures. They were obviously doing, as Matt said, the wanky wanky motion. Yep. <laughs> that, or they kept playing rock paper scissors and didn't realize paper and scissors were options. Exactly. Uh, that was that was the thing they would like. They're pounding their thoughts into other people's heads. Well, it was metaphorical. It was just disturbing because Maybe. because we grew up when we grew up and we're all juvenile and it did not look like that. No. <laughs> about about two thirds of the way through the episode, the um the black kid actually starts doing more of a like you're lifting weights, sort of bending your elbow toward yourself thing, mm -hmm. and that worked a lot better. I got the impression he was doing something and it didn't look lewd. <laughs> Hmm. But it took a while. I don't know. That looked kind of lewd, too. It looked, it looked less lewd than different straight up and down, trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just... Uh, I, I did like Kirk did not appear to be good with kids at all, mm -hmm. but not in the no. fun way that Picard's not good with kids. He just yells at them and sort of grabs them and shakes them when, he, when they don't when they do not do what he wants. <laughs> just like he does with women. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very much like that. I love, uh, <laughs> I love how patronizing he gets when he shows up to see them in the... Uh, what was it? The Arboretum or something? They're all having ice cream. Uh, they're in the. Uh, mm. I think it's just the rec room. Oh. Um, and poor Nurse Chapel. Oh, oh, we got. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We need a mother role. Let's. Uh, hmm. Who do we get? <laughs> well, what kind of ice cream do you want, children? I want. I want pistachio and and cherry and <laughs> Napoleon and. Uh, <laughs> 
Do you have any? And but, but the funny thing is, she had like the little data cards for each one. She actually had one that had like four or five different stripes on it. That was obviously the mixed ice cream. <laughs> no, these kids are just greedy jerks. Is there a soup flavored ice cream? No. <laughs> Not getting soup thrown at her. Again. <laughs> this is this is more like what I expected in season three, which it was terrible. I, I won't deny mm-hmm. that it was really awful, but it wasn't boring. Like it kept moving. Like there wasn't a lot. I mean, yeah. when we got to the point where everyone's seeing their fears, that went on a little long. Yeah, but it yeah. it wasn't like Spock's brain, where it's like, give me the brain. No, give me the brain. No, throw me the brain. Like, I'll throw you the whip. <laughs> So, Mr. Spock, once again, there's nothing you can possess that I cannot take away. No time for love, Mr. Spock. <laughs> oh, man, you just blew Matt's joke for the next episode. <laughs> blew all oh, my sorry. jokes for the next episode. <laughs> uh, that's all right. And it was actually when everyone was tripping out at their stupid fears. Of course, they gave Kirk a, mm. I'm not in command anymore, which that, that was okay. Mm. But, um, you know, Shatner yeah. just blew it because he's Shatner. Well, it's because the kid was sitting in the seat, right? Oh, get out of the chair. <laughs> just no <laughs> there's actually a moment in the 2009 star trek movie where uh where uh kirk's you know still at cadet status and uh, spock's in charge and kirk's trying and kirk sits down and then spock goes get out of the chair <laughs> and that's how i feel when anyone whenever anyone sits there that doesn't belong yeah there. it's a nice moment um yeah. but there's a great like when spock gets his you know you don't see what he's seeing he just, he stands there, he keeps his shit, and he says, um, sorry, Captain, I cannot follow your order. Yep. Like, he's still incapacitated, but he's not undignified. Yep. It's, it's pretty cool. That's pretty much how yeah. Spock would deal with that. Yep. Which is, I, I I mean, even in a bad episode, I like that Spock is still written more or less in character. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kirk has this panic attack down on the planet where they're in the, where they're in the cave, they're walking around and seeing what's what, and there's the, the same cave we've been in and just, like... Every 45 episode. of the last 50 episodes, yeah. And um, and he's suddenly like, <laughs> Spock, I'm scared. Ah! Like, it's just, it, that was almost my, my quote of the episode because it's this creepy little freak out that Shatner does. My anxiety <laughs> rising. Yeah. But it, it was just, it went on for a while and I didn't know where to cut it. So I figured I'd just mention it here. Um, at, at one point when, uh, when, when the crew are all acting under the orders of the children, um, Security shows up with with Chekhov leading them, uh, and, and I think this is the first time we've seen that. Is Chekhov actually in mm. charge of security? Uh, I would hope that if he were in charge of security, secur- uh, yeah, security, he'd at least know how to throw a punch. This is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I always sort of thought, like, because you know, we, most of us came into this really through next gen and kind of went back, and I always thought of him as kind of the wharf, as kind of you know, like he might fire the torpedoes, but he's also in charge of on ship security too. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen him do that, before, huh. so I don't know. I, mean, I never quite made that connection before. I honestly don't know. I'm just trying to match them up with next gen counterparts. I don't. That's no knowledge that I have at all. It's just a guess. I will say this: Chekhov hmm. in charge of security would account for all the dead red shirts. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> if they'd send him down there every now and then, maybe. Yeah, that would uh, be nice. That would be that would be just fun. <laughs> <sighs> and, and can I ask what what the hell was that guy wearing? Because the the ghost guy, uh, he yeah. looked, we he to, looked like, to me like he was like a a metallic, uh, uh, you know, paper around a cupcake <laughs> with vanilla frosting and sprinkles on See? top. That that was his costume. <laughs> when I was talking to you on IM earlier, you actually said it. Looked, he looked, what did you say? He looked like Marlon Brando as a silver cupcake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll make sure I get that right because that was great. 
<laughs> I, I um, it looked to me like he just got called away from getting a haircut. <laughs> like he had a thing draped around him so that nothing would, uh, nothing would fall on him. See, I thought he looked like like someone sticking their head out of a big top. <laughs> well, I, I think we all agree that he sounded like he should have been a, a children's show host. He the vo- the voice mm-hmm. he had was very sort of deep and actually not a bad voice at all. But he sounded like he should have gone, <laughs> "Hello, children! It's so nice to see all of your children." <laughs> yes. That's Let's see if I have a surprise for you. I'll today. take over the ship in my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so bad. Are you afraid and, you know, of I mean, I'm, knives, I'm... Mister Sulu? <laughs> Oh God! So yeah, not not a good episode at all. And uh, like I said, I don't think we've ever seen any normal children in Star Trek. It's always Charlie X or or yeah. these guys or Wesley. Like they always have some creepy powers or some crap. Just uh. I think Jake was fairly regular, wasn't he? Yeah, we got so we got to wait till like three series yep. on until we get to DS Nine and Jake Cisco. Yep. Yep. No fun. Anything else about this one? I mean, I had, I had a lot of problems with this yeah, one. Yeah, oh god. Uh, and mm, anything else jump out mm, at you guys? No, I'm I'm really ready to leave that one yeah. behind. <laughs> well, Matt, then there's yours. The the wonderfully titled "Is There in Truth No Beauty?" <laughs> is there in truth no beauty? Okay, so the Enterprise is picking up a Medusan ambassador. Uh, Medusans are brilliant navigators, but are ugly enough to seriously deplete a viewer's sanity points. Uh, the ambassador, Kolos, arrives in a small box, finally revealing that Marcellus Wallace was, in fact, shipping starship navigators in Pulp Fiction. Kolos <laughs> arrives in the ship with Dr. Pulaski again, playing a different but no less unfortunately hot character, Dr. Miranda Jones. Dr. Jones is a psychic, hoping to bond with Kolos to bring, to bring the Medusans' fine navigating skills to the Federation. Since we never see a Medusan again ever, I assume this plan went off perfectly without a hitch. We also meet the guy who invented the Enterprise's engines, Larry. At dinner, everyone is desperately hitting on Dr. Jones, but she reveals that there is no time for love, as someone at the table is thinking of murder. Uh, Trust me, Doc, we've all been to those dinner parties. This is fairly standard. On this downer note, the party breaks up, and Dr. Jones returns to her room to find Larry. Turns out Larry is also in love with Jones for some reason, and begs her to not hook up with a hideous monster in a box. Unfortunately, Jones has box monster fever and rejects Larry. <laughs> Overcome with rage and box monster racism, Larry tries to kill Kolos with a phaser. Unfortunately, this involves popping Kolos's freshness seal and driving Larry completely catshit fucking insane. Larry takes over the ship from engineering and steers it back out to the galactic barrier where no man has gone more than three times before. Then he dies of a broken, crazy heart. Now in uncharted space, except for all those times that they were charted, uh, Spock suspects that, by melding with Kolos, he can guide the ship home, but Jones is having none of it. She believes that she can better meld with Kolos and guide the ship. Of course, the crew is having none of this. Kirk will be damned if a woman is going to steer his ship. What if she gets her period or something? Oh, and she's also blind, and everyone knows blind people can't pilot the Enterprise. The men of the Enterprise come up with an elaborate plan to trick and seduce Dr. Jones while Spock melds with her. This goes off pretty much without a hitch, and Spock guides the Enterprise home. Then, in a moment of retardedness clearly brought on by Bones reattaching Spock's brain wrong, Spock forgets to wear protective goggles when he puts Kolos back in his box and goes crazy. Jones, overcoming her natural womanish jealousy, helps Spock to recover along with his backup sanity, which, as we all know, Vulcans have always had who says they haven't. <laughs> Very nice. I, I particularly like your reading of 
Larry. Like, you would always change your tone to say Larry. <laughs> Larry is the most Star Trek-sounding name I have ever heard. <laughs> Larry is not a very good commando name. Like Larry from the Starship Regal Beagle. <laughs> Set phasers on swing, Jack. <laughs> So this is twice now that Matt's been tricking into thinking Dr. Pulaski's hot. So two-thirds of the characters she plays are hot to you. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with that. That's 66%. That's a passing grade. I know. Yeah, but that's only it's two episodes out of uh, 2028. Oh, yeah, she so. was in the entirety. That's of, uh, true. Her complete lack of hotness in season yeah. two of Next Gen will uh, really help me pull up my average. Well, I won't argue that she's <laughs> hot there by any means, but I actually like her as a character. But we'll get into that debate in a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this one was actually not bad, and I like the concept. Oh yeah, I like. I, this is mm-hmm. kind of what I was complaining about a few weeks ago. Where like I wish the show would do more high concept sci fi stuff, and they did. Mm-hmm. Like a weird alien that drives you insane to look at is is the kind of thing I'm talking yep. about. Mm-hmm. I, and, I do uh, like the idea that it's transported around a box. I swear to God, every time they <laughs> open that thing, I thought a hand was going to come out and start snapping. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, you one of you, this wasn't my joke, but one of you figured that all the Nazis' faces would start <laughs> if they opened that it on Matt. If they opened it on Nazi planet, then... <laughs> that would have solved a lot <laughs> of problems right quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, no, really, I mean, the concept is great, and the fact that the, the, there's a blind ambassador is who's the one who can kind of handle it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that she was a telepath um, who trained on Vulcan to kind of control her... Telepathic abilities. I thought that was neat. There was there was a lot of good stuff in here. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the red film goggles that they put on to I don't know read uh, Lucasfilm hint books <laughs> maybe uh, could have been done a little better, but uh, <laughs> you know they put a nice little red filter on the POV shots. That was you know I mean simple, but at least you got the idea of what was going on. And uh, yeah, was they had a nice little touch with with it being a Medusa, but the the uh, you know Doctor Jones she had this kind of hairstyle that almost had like a snake-like feel to it yeah, i don't i don't know if that was deliberate or not but that was, that was really, really clever if it, was, yeah. if it was intentional yeah I, I just thought it looked like an exotic hairstyle that never occurred mm. to me until you pointed it out but that's, that's really that's cool, cool. Mm. yeah and um the idea that she's i don't know we see this again in next gen where that's sort of uh, attractive women who are telepaths put off these weird sort of signals that make everyone hit on them yeah Mm. And I don't know if that was explicitly stated, but that's kind of what I, I gathered. I thought that was going to come was, up later in the episode, and then it never did. You know, because like I, maybe it was maybe it was cut in a draft, or maybe we're just reading too yeah, much into it. Yeah, it just but, it seemed like when they were at the dinner party, everyone and their dog was hitting on her. Right. Yeah, they were tripping over each other. To, yeah, but and <laughs> and again, I I just assumed that was her. You know, her like not completely controlling her telepathy and sort of luring them mm-hmm. in, and then that was just Doctor Pulaski being really. Huh? <laughs> 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 if you say that a few more times, it's really going to hammer it home, and he's going to have really disturbing dreams soon. So let's let's just keep doing it. This episode is taking a rather uncomfortable turn. <laughs> well, listen, why should Sarcastic Voyage be the only show where we torment you? <laughs> you got me there. Um, the name Kolos, though, really felt like they have a they have a little wheel where they where they come up with like Star Trek names. Well, we got Kodos, we got Koloth. How about Kolos? Kang, Kang, Kodos, Kodos. <laughs> Next week we'll have Kodos. <laughs> but yeah, not. Wait, and what about what about the uh, the Idic thing? Oh yeah, there's that, a, is that, that, that's the first yeah, time we've seen that. There's right? a, it's a medal that represents. Um, what is it? The, infinite right, the, designs and infinite combinations. No, infinite diversity. Infinite diversity, and diversity. Infinite combinations. Okay. Right. 
which actually I'm mostly familiar with through the expanded universe yeah. stuff, through the uh, the post show like novels and stuff. Which the the yeah. concept is Vulcans try to honor the infinite, you know, scientifically, logically, the infinite combinations that the universe offers, which is a cool idea philosophically, but. Hmm. Apparently, there's there's something a little sinister behind. Yeah, uh, I was oh. doing some research on this. It turns out Roddenberry only put it in and like had it included in the script so that he could sell them. Uh, apparently, apparently really? the uh, the <laughs> cast got really pissed off, and uh, it sort of got cut back to just being featured in that one scene. Well, yeah, because my my comment was I love seeing this in the expanded stuff. How come they didn't do it more on the show? Like, how come we only see it as far as I know this one mm-hmm. time? And I guess that's yeah. why. Because it was horrible crass commercial. Once again, Gene's oh. vision of a world in which he had more money. <laughs> well, there's no money in the future because Gene's got. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's you know the the show was kind of failing and they had the like slash the budget well, I mean, and everything, was that money for the show or just for Gene? I mean, it, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Like, I don't know if he owned the design or maybe if he was trying to like that would have that would have made it noble, but I. I don't know. My my natural cynical twenty first century inclination is to say yeah. no, but it, yeah. you might be right. Fair enough. It was a simpler time. It's possible. But yeah, overall, I mean, uh, fun episode. I, I enjoyed yeah. this. There was a lot of going on, and there's a lot of interesting stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. I might have changed Larry, but and that hot doctor. Ah. <laughs> the fact that she was blind was an interesting twist that happened about what halfway yeah, through the and episode. Like I, when I watched it again, I I noticed they really play like she's acting you know blind for like the entire episode. That's like, cool. That sort of she if you watch she sort of stares ahead all the time. Huh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nothing huge. Yeah, and I guess kind of, you know, I guess you kind of assume subtle. it's an acting choice when you see it the first yeah. time. But... That's yeah. cool. I mean, when when they reveal it eventually, that she's got apparently this. This like net, it looks like a net of jewels and stuff that go goes over her dress. Um, but apparently, that's like it's like a sensor yeah. net for her. So you know, it's like her her superpower. Yeah, I just assumed she got <laughs> tangled when she was fishing. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's like the old joke that Matt and I made about Daredevil being the uh, the blind superhero whose power is that he can see. Yes. <laughs> right. That's the same with her. <laughs> but you know, that's that's sort of the visor Mark One, I suppose. Yep. In eight mm-hmm. in eighty years, it'll fit on your face instead of over an entire suit of clothing. So yep. that's nice. That's a cool way to look at it. I just pulled that out of my ass. What do you think well, of that? That's pretty uh, <laughs> way to go. Uh, I'm very impressed yeah. with your your ass pulling. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this Star Trek stuff a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my no prize is on the way. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I I really enjoyed this. And again, between this episode and and the one that you did, Bob, it surprised me. It's season three, you know. And, and, of course, last week, the Enterprise incident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more like season two where there's just a lot of up and down and it's not just all terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Not not so bad. I'd be okay I with I mean, that. starting so with Spock's brain certainly uh, put us off No, the that was the wrong foot, foot to lead but, with. Uh, yeah. Uh, if, you guys. <laughs> okay, Bob. You've, I've heard you say this. Do you, and, I, and I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have anything, you know, prepared to argue. But if you have a defense of Spock's brain, I would love to hear yeah, it. Yeah, please. Give you the spotlight. No, not really. Okay. I, just, I just enjoy watching Nimoy rock around with a little lobot thing. On <laughs> well, that's a, well, that's pretty fun. <laughs> that would be great, um, and I'm sure there's probably already a fan edit out there, but if not, there should be. Billy D. Williams dialing, you know, talking to his <laughs> wrist, and then cut to Spock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ, we're nerds. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I love it. Um, but no, that, that does bring me to the point that, that I, I raised during this episode. Nimoy, more than any other actor, gets to lie around a lot. He really oh, yeah. does. In, in this episode, in this episode, he gets uh, knocked unconscious for a while because of his his um his his encounter with the you know the the insanity and uh, it, an it encounter with insanity least... would also be a good title for this episode. <laughs> a lot better, <laughs> a lot better than the one they went with. <laughs> um, but no, you, I, it just occurred to me like seeing him lying there with his eyes closed, laying perfectly still, like more mm. than any other character in any other show that I can think of. Apart from maybe Laura Palmer, he uh, <laughs> he gets a pretty easy ride on that show. <laughs> well, as you know, they they just give that to him as as a bonus, just in in exchange for all the hours that he has to sit in the makeup chair getting his ears done. I suppose that's that's a valid point. I, I, that sounds like you just pulled that one out of your ass too, but that's pretty good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well done, sir. Um, <laughs> but no, really, and I, and I was thinking, okay, well, in Star Trek Three, he does it, but that's different because he directed it. But it, he, he does it in a lot of episodes too, where he's just. Doesn't have a lot of lines, or he's just lying there, or he's walking around like a robot, or just, huh. All right, then. Acting like a robot. I, I like to believe that that was uh, Shatner again. Leonard's got too many lines in this episode. May, put him back to sleep. <laughs> well, everything we've heard and seen seems to point to that, so I would not rule that out at all. Um, now, and actually, Bob, for a brief second when you said walking around like a robot takes a lot of energy, I actually, in my head, thought... <laughs> He was actually being controlled by DeForest Kelly. <laughs> and I had to stop myself from saying that and sounding like a total idiot. Like, no, that wasn't really him walking. Oh, never mind. <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Gene, I'm uncomfortable with this. With the, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with how this special effect works. Shut up, Leonard. We're going for complete realism here. <laughs> Give me some money. <laughs> You got to buy this medallion you're wearing in this episode. <laughs> buy it from me. Now, <laughs> uh, the only thing I want to say is that Doctor Pulaski. Ah, oh, fucking yes, hell! <laughs> when we do our video wrap up, we're gonna have to do the hottest characters of Star Trek. So they will the... all be Doctor Pulaski. Will be in there three times. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but just to be fair, we'll throw men in there because we've tried our best not to be uh, total misogynists, like uh, like a certain oh, yeah. uh, skirt shortening producer. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. Yep. Khan was totally hot. <laughs> and Harry Mudd. Also fatigued. Very, very fatigued. <laughs> Any anything else on this one, guys? I mean, uh, it, it, was, nope. it was a great episode with a lot going on, but yeah. the problem with good episodes is there's not always a lot of funny to say. So it's a dude in a box. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to the paradise syndrome. Um, you got something for us for in the future, there, Bob? Um. Oh shit! <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I, I meant to. Um, I'm sure, Bob will remember to write one of these. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In the future, in the future, in the future. Uh, Kirk will shout his name to the heavens <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's fine. You've had a busy week. You get a pass. <laughs> you were just here two weeks ago. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for mine, in the, future, in the future, the United Federation of Planets will be represented by a red flag with a bunch of stars on it. I think you can read between the lines here, comrade. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Actually, they had this this uh, stiff cardboard, I wouldn't even call it a flag. No. Just a sign. Like something you'd see someone holding up at the Republican convention. 
like waving, you know, Arizona, you know, something like that. But he, but Kirk, when he gets down to the planet, just like shoves it in the dirt. Like, huh. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Flag. Yeah. It was a pretty cool flag. It, it was, it was our flag on Triacus. How did it get there? <laughs> I claim this planet for the planet Mars. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got a you got one for yours. All right, in the, All right. Future, in the future, women will be unable to overcome their inability to drive starships. Blind people, on the other hand, will do just fine. <laughs> All right. Well, actually, we know that as of generations, that that still holds true. Both. If they'd let Jordy drive. They let they Jordy. Been... They let Jordy drive. He does fine. They let Troy drive. She crashes the ship. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. You got a you got a quote for. Uh... Yeah, I think I think uh I mean as good as this episode was, this is the quintessential quote of the episode. Just after uh uh Spock is mind melding with Kirk, trying to pull back his memories and, and, and get him back to being Kirk, but there's one last vestige of, of Kirok that uh, manifests itself. I am Kirok. I am I am. Uh, I'm Very nice. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing when we, when we when I talk to people who know Star Trek and I say we're doing these episodes next, and every everyone kind of glosses over and doesn't know that one by title. I say it's it's I am Kirok. Oh, that one, of course. <laughs> that's just what they know. That's how this episode is known. Um, for mine, when the when the children when the horrible children. Are uh, messing with the bridge crew. There's a there's a security guard by the turbo lift that won't let Kirk uh, leave, and uh, the kids scramble his mind so that um, Kirk's uh, uh, words come out all weird and backwardsy, and it sounds like he's in the Black Lodge, and it's really <laughs> so. That's my quote. They are not not exactly words so much, but uh, I just I'm a, I'm a sucker for backwards talk. If only Kirk had been a midget. <laughs> uh, Matt, you got one for very long title. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, in this one, uh, we got Kolos sharing his body with with Spock, who is very clearly enjoying himself. This is delightful. I know you. All of you. James Kirk. Captain and friend for many years. And Leonard McCoy. <laughs> also of long acquaintance. And Uhura. Whose name means freedom. She walks in beauty like the night. That's not Spock. Well, who wouldn't enjoy sharing a nice tall spot? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I had one other quick thing I, I wanted to mention. We've talked about this a little before. We're not going to go into great detail now, but I fear at some point we may. <laughs> this uh, Star Trek The Next Generation porn parody. Oh, dear. Oh, Lord. I feel we would be remiss in, in not mentioning this. The trailer is out now. It's actually uh, completely safe for work, so we'll mm -hmm. post a link for you. It, it's on YouTube, and YouTube has some some standards for that, so it's it's fine. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll put that on. Well, they don't allow nudity on YouTube, so 
There you go. It's actually somebody pointed out. This is not my observation, but somebody pointed out there's less sex in this trailer than there is in a typical episode of Next Gen. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, you see some cleavage, but you always see that. So yeah. It, 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 the thing about this, and we've talked about this before, they went into excruciating detail. They know where this episode fits. It's, it happens in season six after True Q, before whatever episode happened after that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, True Q two. Yeah. <laughs> It 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 happens. That's the, is that like, the one with the the lady the lady Q with the girl? Yeah, okay. Amanda Rogers. Right. Okay, yeah. Um, early season six, mm-hmm. but they they've already, they figured out where it fits. Uh, it, it appears to very much draw on a lot of continuity. It's creepily well put together, and in fact, <laughs> everything that they got wrong, like the Starfleet insignias and a couple other things, they had to get wrong for legal reasons. Mm. Yeah. Like they know they're wrong and they had to do it so they wouldn't get sued. It's it's just it's amazingly just oh it, it's so disturbing to me that this is not a fan film. This is pornography. Oh my! It actually looks a lot better than uh, some of the fan films I've seen. Yeah, we when we watched a few of the fan films to talk about on on the Sarcastic Voyage, it's definitely better than most of those. Mm-hmm. And they put a lot of work into this, and and it's all just to watch. People bone. I don't know. Worlds are colliding. I just like to point out how much I like uh, Riker's Tony Stark beard. (laughs) Does he have a trombone? (laughs) He played it in a cave with scraps. (laughs) What is the leg up near data? (laughs) Yeah, if they they don't do that, that's a real missed opportunity. Yeah. I assume maybe in our next supplemental episode, maybe over on Sarcastic Voyage, we will talk more extensively about this, but... This seems like something people would write into us and say, have you seen this? So I wanted to address it. And yeah. I just want to say I'm not against it, but I'm very confused by it. It's, <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of conflicting emotions here. <laughs> all right. So that's all for us. Um, Bob, unfortunately, we won't be hearing from you again until Wrath of Cologne, So, uh Well, that's okay. But that'll that'll be here before you yep. know it. So uh, <laughs> thanks as always. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Matt, anything else? Uh, no. All right. That is all for us. All righty. Good night and good luck. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2011. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.